We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back in to another episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm joined as always by Joel Pinfield. Joel, the NCAA tournament bracket is out. Oklahoma State has a very um, convenient ban on them considering they probably wouldn't have made it this year anyway. But are you going to watch the NCAA tournament like normal? Or are you protesting the sanctions against uh, Mike? Or I guess it's not against Coach Boyton, but against Oklahoma State in general. Oh, they, they were specifically meant for Brad Underwood at Illinois, but that's neither here nor there. Um, no, I'm still going to – the NCAA tournament's one of my favorite parts of the sports calendar. So I am going to watch it like normal. So I'm going to do a bracket like normal. Yeah, they probably weren't going to make it this year, but they also played with nothing to play for all year. So who knows if, you know, if they had something to actually play for, maybe who knows, but uh, no, it'll also watch it like normal. I was so ready for KU to lose in like the round of 32 or make it to the final four. We don't know, uh, but you're in the same position as me. And I know uh, Annie is as well with whatever the heck Mizzou did this year. I, I wish I could use the sanctions excuse but I've, I've we've got nothing this year we were eligible for postseason play and just not good enough um annie are you gonna be watching any of the tournament or are you gonna be so consumed by baseball that that probably might not be on your list yeah um it'll be on like if, when i come back to the hotel or if i go out at night but i won't i'll make it i'll make a few brackets um i've got you know long-standing competitions but as i've gotten into baseball it's been less it's been less important for me, which is, is kind of annoying, but you know, Hey, baseball's back. So I'm, if baseball wasn't back, I'd definitely be watching a lot of it. Alex, does your wife do, does your wife do brackets? Cause mine does. And she beats me every year. She, she picks on mascots. Yep. That's how my wife does it. Yeah. And every year or the colors of the teams, yes. uh, which means that North Carolina makes it to the final four and wins the national championship almost every year, mm-hmm. which by the way, are we not like, 100% sure it's not a more strategic way to go about things. Oh, yeah. No, I, I do one that I actually put some serious analysis into, and then one where I flip a coin. My coin flip wins like four out of every five years. I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our sponsor really quick, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning out in home field, Nolatha, Kansas. Um, Scott Barlow, home of Scott Barlow this offseason as he was training during the lockout. Um, they train baseball, softball of all ages, so if you're – looking for a place to train if you're looking for a place to get lessons to get help all the 
Um, latest technology is out there at home field in Olathe. Again, Kansas City Strength and Conditioning. Thanks for their title sponsorship of the Royals Farm Report podcast. Annie is the Royals beat writer for MLB.com. She's joining us tonight. Um, so thank you again, Annie, for being on. I want to ask about before, or I guess, so before today, it wasn't mandatory for big league players to show up. I assume most of them made it down. I hear about some problems. Guys were having getting flights down there. Um, I know even a couple of high-ranking uh, people were having hard times getting flights to get physically into Phoenix, get down there to Arizona. But I saw a video of Salvador Perez catching bullpens today. It looks like a lot of the big league, a lot of the 40-man guys are back. What was the vibe around camp like as everybody's back together, spring training has officially begun? Yeah, it's exciting. Um, I think people are just happy that, you know, they have something other than um, – negotiations to look at to doom scroll through Twitter as I like to call it um you know it's it's a much more upbeat atmosphere uh you know I've been down here for a while and uh, minor league camp is has been great um but there is kind of that looming factor over all of it um so that's gone which which is awesome and things are you know we're talking about baseball again we're talking about roster moves and transactions and you know competitions, things like that. That's, that's exciting. So I would say the overall vibe is, is excitement and happiness, um, relief a little bit too. Um, but I know, I know a lot of the players are really happy to be, be on the field today. What was the difference when it was just guys that was just the minor league guys and, or, and I guess guys that weren't on the 40 man, um, I I'd imagine they were excited to be back because they're getting ready for their season, but there's a, there had to have been a little bit of an emptiness with, kind of the the looming up in the air aspect of we didn't know when the big league guys were going to show up yeah um you know like you said they're they're all getting their work in um you know they have a season they were going to have a season no matter what so they had to do as much as they can and and still are um they were up on like the front fields uh, where the big leaguers usually are um so it wasn't like much of a walk from the clubhouse to uh, where they were playing and, and now they're up on like the backfields um so it's a little bit more of a walk so that's like the main difference, but kind of like I said, you know, it was it was a fun atmosphere, it was relaxed spring training vibes. Um, you know, there was music playing during BP, everybody was getting their work in, but it was just kind of there's just something looming, you know, um, over over a lot of them, over a lot of people I talked to, coaches, front office people, um, even me, it was kind of getting, you know, Groundhog Day a little bit. Um, you know, it's bullpens and BP and inner squads, um, so. The, it's kind of like there's been an injection of energy it feels like uh with with big leaguers back and even when the news broke that um there was a deal and there weren't big leaguers there just the prospect of them being there the next day was exciting you saw a lot more smiles around and you know people are happy i'll ask you one more question about kind of big league centric and then we'll focus on some of the minor league guys you were you were watching out there Josh, um, who's, who's back screen, listening to the interview, he was asking, he, he wanted me to ask you uh, before we get to the minor league stuff, like as the lockout was looming and we didn't really know if games would miss when the season would start, was there anything that you were thinking about writing or like through, through your work specifically that you were like, am I really going to write about this? Or like, what am I going to have to write about? Cause we can write about minor leaguers all day, but oh, eventually yeah. people are going to want to read about the big leaguers in some capacity. So is there anything that you were working? Because MLB.com, they had, if you aren't, have you been living under a rock, they've had the the faces of the players like grayed out. Like the players' faces haven't been physically 
on MLB.com. So you guys weren't allowed to write about the big league players on the 40-man roster. So is there anything that you were going through, jotting down in your notes? Like, am I really going to have to write about this, like, as we wait for the lockout to end? Um, it was getting to that point. Um, you know, usually in spring training, we write multiple stories a day. And for minor league spring training, it was like one story a day. You could take a day off here and there. It's not that big of a deal. So I did kind of lean on that. Um, but yeah, I had like a list of things that I wanted to cover and near the end, it was like, what, are, what's the best, you know, what's the best fastball change up curveball in camp? Um, which is like, it maybe it's a good story, but who, who's really going to read that? You know, like some guy who's some guy who's in, you know, who's going to be in rookie ball. Um, do you really want to know who the best fastball is? But it luckily it didn't get to that point. And look, like I will say, the Royals have a good farm system, so there are good stories to tell, and that's why I was down here. Um, you know, some of these, a lot of these guys are going to help out the big league club at some point in the next few years. So, um, I thought it was important to, you know, kind of report and um, give people a look into into that. So, yeah, but it was <laughs> like over. If there wasn't a deal on Thursday or whatever day that was, um, I was I was probably going to go home honestly because it was going to be a while i think if before anything substantial happened you mentioned the royals having a good farm system let's get in start talking about those guys a little bit if was there is there anybody that's been standing out so let's start with the hitters really quick we know the big names right bobby witt jr's been down there melendez and prado have finally arrived suli matias hits for an ungodly amount of power um every time he steps into the box but anybody that has stood out to you that maybe maybe you didn't expect or that guys really need to be watching. I know Rusty Koontz uh, talked about Nick Lofton a little bit, but anybody who's really stood out at the plate that really caught your eye this week? Yeah, um, I would say Michael Massey is one that um, has been standing out uh, and then kind of continued that into spring, uh, both defensively and offensively. Um, he was in high A last year. I know you guys um, have written a lot about him. and uh, He's, a, I mean, just a standout personality first of all, and then you kind of look into um, what he's doing on the field. And um, he really stood out. And obviously, Vinny Pasquantino as well. He's I don't know if you would loop him in with, like, the big names, um, but he should be looped in with those big names. Um, and that will reflect, I think, uh, as we move forward, um, you know, this, this season. But he stood out just for his leadership, power on the field, um, I thought he looked pretty good taking taking some ground balls and, and playing in inner squads at first base, which is a good thing because you know he's a bat first guy. Um, so he kind of stood out. Uh, you you mentioned Lofton defensively stood stood out. Jake Means was another guy I heard a lot about, um, brother of John Means, the Orioles pitcher, and uh, Kale Emshoff too. I, I see you're wearing the seams hat, um, but he stood out and uh, he got a an invite to big league camp, which I know he's really excited about. Um, I heard a lot of big league coaching, big league coaches talk about him, his catching, his power, and, and also his leadership. So those are some names I think people should be watching uh, as we move forward. So those two first guys that you mentioned, Vinny and Massey, they're best friends, really good friends off the field, they're roommates yeah. uh, in the complex. But there, there was a video that you posted one of those first days where they're doing inter-squad scrimmages. Vinny rips the ball to the right side. Massey makes a diving play. Led to a little a funny Twitter exchange there between you and Vinny and all that. But uh, I'm just curious about uh, if you heard anything from those guys while you were there about that interaction. That was pretty, that was pretty funny. 
Oh yeah, um, Vinny was giving me a hard time. Uh, he was in my DMs like that night. Like, if I could dislike a tweet, you know, I totally would with this one. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. I understand. Uh, the next day or two days after, maybe I was taking video of his bad in practice and told him after, and he's like, well, yeah, you're gonna get some good video out of that. So um, that what all is forgiven, I suppose. Um, but yeah, he's he's hilarious. Um, he was giving Michael a hard time. Um, just for taking that hit away. It was a good, it was a good contact, you know, it was, it was hard contact and Massey just snagged it. Um, that's fun, you know, and luckily I was videoing at that time to, to get it. You mentioned Kale Emshoff. He's a, we had him on the podcast, the first podcast here at KCSN. Um, he came on and talked to us a little bit. You mentioned the hat I'm wearing the Kale's brand, the seams brand. If you missed that episode, go check it out on Twitter. I'll, I'll plug it on the bottom of this, on the bottom of the podcast, but Kale had a very up and down roller coaster type of year last year. He came on, he mentioned, you know, maybe he's swinging too heavy of a bat. An old hitting coach was like, hey, this is like the one thing we talked about. He made a tweak. He feels a lot better. When he was signed in that internet, the draft, the free agent class after the shortened 2020 draft, he was thought of to be maybe the gem of the draft, right? Maybe the best undrafted player in the class, the best remaining player available. Um, I've maintained that in a normal draft, he's probably more like a third or fourth round pick, but because of the complexities of that five round draft that some of those older guys fell out of the draft. Anyway, you mentioned the catching and I think last year we saw it. He was working with a younger, a younger staff and a younger second catcher and Omar Hernandez down in Colombia. But as he's working with pitchers, we're going to get to the pitchers here in just a second. Is there anything about the catchers? Cause I saw, who was it? Somebody tweeted about Freddie Fermin earlier today, and he, Freddie Fermin talked about they follow Salvi. Like, wherever Salvi goes, we're going to do what he does. We're going to do things the right way, and we have a great person to learn from. But is there anything about Kale that strikes you as being similar to Salvi? Obviously, to whatever, to a certain degree, but, you know, he hits for a ton of power, defensive prowess behind the plate, working with young arms, has a cannon for an arm behind the plate. Is there anything that strikes you as similar? And, I mean, is, is the – the trend of these catchers following Salvi around. Is that pretty, you know, pretty straight? Oh yeah. Um, even today, so it was Salvi's first day here. And um, so you had all of the, the catchers on the big league roster minus I think uh, Melendez. He would, he got in later tonight, um, but all of them were out. They caught some bullpens and then they um, went over to, to the field to work with Pedro Grafal, the bench coach and former catcher on, on catching skills. And, I, I tweeted a photo of it, but if you look at that photo, Salvi's behind the plate, and every single catcher is like in a semicircle around and just all eyes trained on him. Like they're not moving a muscle. Um, they want to soak up every single thing that he says that he does. And then when they're and it's their turn behind behind the plate, Salvi's standing behind them and giving them pointers. And you know, Pedro's uh, calling out different things, but Salvi's reinforcing it. And um, I just thought that was I mean, it's the first. <laughs> first day of camp um not even official workouts yet those are tomorrow and um no there's there's salvi commanding the field and i i do think kale has that leadership component to him he commands a pitching staff very well he and he commands uh, you know the bench and, and the dugout very well i was watching him during one of the inner squads i don't even know what day it was i don't even know what day it is right now but um he, he went up and down the line and just, you know, gave high fives or, or fist bumps to every single guy, coaches or um, even the equipment managers or whatever. And I just think those little things 
um, that you do as, as in that position, you know, you're, you're the commander of the field. Um, that that's so important. And I, Kale Emshoff really um, exemplifies that very well. And that's kind of why he stood out. And that's why I, heard, why I heard a lot about him. Obviously his power stands out. He's has probably best right-handed pop of the farm system um, to be quite honest, but the big league coaching staff, when they were watching these workouts, they were looking at that, of course, but they're looking at the intangibles too. And um, that's what I heard probably the most. So let's talk about the pitchers. We talked about the hitters. What, what are some of the guys that uh, that you've seen that have stood out? Obviously, there there are some big names still in there, like Ace Lacy, um, Alec Marsh, and guys of that nature. But who else? And you can even talk about Lacy or, or and Marsh. You know, if they've really stood out to you, but who else? Yeah, those two definitely stood out. Um, I think they're both figuring things out after an up and down year. You know, Marsh was hurt. Lacy um, struggled with command and then uh, got hurt as well. Um, they both are looking for bounce back years. Beyond them. Um, I think Will Klein was probably the, the biggest guy that, that stood out. And, you know, he's probably someone people know about. We've, we've written a lot about him. But I just was so blown away by the, the presence that he had on the mound when he was throwing, you know, live BP and, and then inner squads. Um, they transitioned to that later this or this week. Um, he just <laughs> – I, I stood behind the – I stood behind the plate, you know, behind the fence for one live BP and – I was just like, oh, my God, I would never want to stand in the box against that guy ever. And he's so nice off the field. Um, he's a wonderful man. He's a wonderful man. But on the mound, he is a com- he is an imposing presence, um, and he's got elite stuff. Uh, I think we're going to see him rise pretty far and pretty fast. Um, so he's one guy to, to look out for. Um, let's see, going through some of the pictures. Um, I think I wrote a little bit about Caden Monk. He's a 14th round draft pick um, last year out of Arkansas. Um, I think he's one to watch this year just because he he got all, all the way up to high A. He didn't throw that much um, after the draft, but they felt comfortable enough to put him in high A uh, last year. And um, he was able to throw a few bullpens. I saw him throw, throw a few and looks really good. Um, tall, skinny kid, so he's got that long extension. I think someone to watch. Um, Anthony Veneziano, I don't know if you guys know him. He's he's a he's one that really stood out last year and has kind of moved into that. I think he's moved into that group with like Alec Marsh and and them, um, Noah Murdoch as well. So I'm um, looking for big years out of them. But I don't know. That's that's kind of who the, the, those pitchers that stood out. We're, oh, we're and, both and pretty big. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Christian Chamberlain as well. Oh um, um, yeah. Yeah, he's. That's that's the guy I wanted to ask you about. He, that, yeah. I saw a video online of him pitching to, I I couldn't make out the name. Um, he's pitching to an inner squad and he threw a curveball. He's got yeah. one of the best left-handed curveballs I've seen. I mean, he reminds me a little bit, like in some ways, of of Tim Collins, former Royals pitcher, where you know the frame on the left-handed pitcher is not huge, but the stuff plays huge, right? And so. He, he flashed that curveball. I know his velo's been back. He also got hurt last year. There were a lot of these guys who kind of went away last year and came back and this spring, and they appear to be healthy. They appear to be throwing well. You mentioned Noah Murdoch, who appears to be healthy. So I, I, I'm assuming a lot of these guys look good. Are there any – I know they're they're careful with, like, remaining injuries. Like Ben Hernandez, for example, is one guy I, we haven't seen much of. Do all these guys appear to be healthy? Do they appear to be kind of back on their role? Or is there anybody that's still kind of slowly working in? Yeah, um, I think most of them are 
you know, building up. And it might take a few of them a little bit longer. Um, that's why they started so early. Um, but uh, I think Ben Hernandez is one that's maybe a little bit going, coming in a little bit slower. Um, but I, I think the Royals are just being cautious there. Um, Noah Murdoch seems to be throwing fine. Same with Alec Marsh. Um, some of those guys, you know, I think like one of the things about those pitchers being hurt or shut down last year, one, they're not, they weren't serious injuries, which is really good. Um, no surgeries beyond, you know, Jonathan Bowen, who had Tommy John. And two, it kind of allowed like some of these guys to really step up. You know, I mentioned Veneziano. They knew kind of what they had with him, but he just like took off um, in high A. And I think, he, and you know, you never want to say he was a surprise, but he totally was. <laughs> like he totally was a surprise. Um and I, I think having some of these other guys be, you know, having them back off or slow down, um, that allowed some some of the other pitchers who we're talking about now to really take off and break out and um, kind of get on on the radar of not just Royals upper, upper Royals officials, but fans and, and media and and, and us. For have anybody you seen who, much from? Have you seen much from uh, like Frank Mazzucato, Ben Kuderna, Shane yeah. Panzini, and those guys, and how how have they fit into this group? Yeah, definitely. And I should have probably mentioned them, uh, you know, standing out. I think Ben Kuderna or Kuderna, sorry. Um, he, uh, he's just bulked up. Um, he's, he's stronger now. Um, he's, he's also one that kind of commands a, a different kind of presence on the mound. Um, same as Jam Panzini, you know, he has a little bit of more of like a durable frame. Um, I think he, he's one that I, you know, he was a little bit lower in the draft, but I think he could move quick, you know, if it clicks for him. Uh, and Frankie too. I mean, he's, he's different. I know a lot of people were confused about, uh, the Royals taking him number seven overall, but um, he he's one that I think his curveball is is incredible, and uh, he's got a lot of poise for an 18 year old, um, and that's something you definitely look at um, beyond just the stuff, especially when they're that young. You mentioned Ben Hernandez coming on a little slow, and then Joel brought up the other the other teenagers drafted last year, and I want to clarify really quick for Hernandez specifically. You know, didn't pitch in 2020 with a shutdown, 2021 minor injury doesn't pitch a lot it, it doesn't make sense for them to rush Hernandez out there because he's probably not going to be able to throw a full season's worth of innings anyway so as a as he's still a teenager he could go to Columbia or even Quad Cities throw you know 60 70 innings this year starting in at the end of May beginning of June even and still get a full season's worth of work for him and it also relates to the young guys this year where Kuderna, Mazzucato, Panzini playing high levels of competitive baseball have probably thrown quite a few innings in the summers in their in their year, but it's nothing like professional baseball. So it would make sense for them to limit their innings, to watch them, because they didn't throw it all last year, and then bring them on a little more quickly in 2023, right? So don't be surprised these guys get slow out of the gate. They don't start right away, whatever the case may be. There's just no reason to. They're not going to pitch in the big leagues this year. Probably not going to pitch, excuse me, in the big leagues next year. So being slow with them makes a lot of sense. Don't don't think that's in any way injury related. No. Yeah. Um, even if it is still being slow with them. So, um, you know, I, I, Annie, I wanted to ask you about guys that you've seen this year who you, you mentioned Veneciano, but like, is there anybody who maybe you had never heard of, or even if you've heard of them, right? They weren't on your radar. Like for so for me last spring it was Clay Dungan. Clay Dungan came out last year and I was like, okay, like this guy is clearly capable of playing 
I mean, he jumped from rookie ball to double A, right? So the, there's obviously no 2020 season, but they rolled him out there last spring with the with the Bobby Witt Juniors, MJ Melendez is like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, like this guy's obviously going to be a dude. Saw that again this spring. Is there anybody you saw this year for the first time and you're like, whoa, okay, that guy clearly fits in with the rest of these guys who maybe you hadn't had on your radar as much? Yeah, I'm kind of looking at the roster right now because there's so many, there's so many players. <laughs> I was extremely excited when they started wearing jerseys instead of like the like the t-shirts because I could actually see their last names. Um, but um, I think I I don't know. I, I've heard of him before because of the draft uh, last year, but um, and this was kind of our first look. But the first guy that popped into my mind was Brennan McNair. Um, he was drafting the 11th round last year. So this was kind of our first look. Um, so I don't know if it completely goes with your criteria, um, but I was impressed with what he showed. Um, he's in that, he was in a younger group uh, and um, he's, a, you know, he's a young guy as well, but he's got a really good bat. Um, he's improved exponentially defensively at shortstop uh, just from the time he was drafted, uh, got into fall camp Um and then in, in into now spring training, I mean, it's his instincts are much better. Uh, his, his range is a lot better. Um, and the way he was kind of getting around with other guys and, you know, he was clearly a leader already. Um, so I think he was, he's someone that kind of popped into my, my mind um, right away just because I, you know, I didn't know a ton about him. Um, obviously in the 11th round pick, you don't put all of your, yeah, you know, um, put all of you know your mind in, into those guys and, and beyond. So he's probably someone that I would say. I'm assuming that he's a guy that, that you'll be watching this year. And for, yeah. you know, Annie, this is, the, this is the last question I've got for you. Then I'll turn it over to Joel. But, um, you know, as the big league beat reporter, it's, 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 it's impossible for you to follow all the minor league guys, right? So is there anybody that you've – you know, met with in camp, talked with in camp, seen in camp. I, I'm assuming Brendan McNair maybe is on this list for you now that, um, you know, you're going to make sure that you watch as they progress to the minors this year, one or two guys that you know that you'll probably be able to write about later on because as much as you do write about the big league team, you, you did a lot of great work with the minor league guys last year, especially in the dog days of July on a non-competitive team, right? So is there anybody that you – know you're going to be watching as we go through the summer and into the fall um, to be able to write about coming up? Yeah, honestly, you know, I do my best to make sure I look at, you know, who's performing in the minors and all the guys that we mentioned. I mean, I think one on the hidden side I've mentioned is is Massey. Um, I think he's he's going to come on pretty strong. Um, definitely someone to, to watch as – as we um, go through the season, he'll probably be at double A this year. And, you know, who knows what can happen from there. Uh, pitching wise, I mentioned him too, but, but Will Klein, I, I, there's, there's not enough good things to say about him right now. So I'm really interested to see a, the role that they use him in. Um, he was a multi-inning reliever last year, kind of logged some back end innings, obviously is, has a look of a closer, but his changeup is, is good. And, um, that could be a weapon for him as a starter. So we might see him start a few games. So that's probably the, like, honestly, the number one thing for me is where these guys fit as far as roles go and how they develop them. Um, you're going to see a lot more starters and relievers because their philosophy is, you know, ramp them up as much as you can, lengthen them out. You can always take away innings instead of adding on. 
Um, so those are probably the two guys on the hitting side and pitching side that I would really watch this year, um, especially as you kind of said, those dog days of July and August when it gets tough <laughs> at Coffin Stadium. Um, hopefully that won't happen this year, but um, we'll, we'll see. Um, but yeah, those are the two. All right. Um, last question here. We'll have a little bit of fun. Uh, what would be your walk-up song if you were taking that bat at Coffin Stadium? Uh, um, great question. <laughs> Probably something like Harry Styles or One Direction. Like, I'm just so – I know that's so embarrassing, but, like, that was – that pumps me up, man, you know? Like, if I need to get – if I need to have a good day, I'll listen to Harry Styles. So probably something – Hey, there have been big leaders that have walked up to Baby Shark. Like, and I yeah. know any parent listening to this just got PTSD. But <laughs> everyone's got their, you know, whatever helps you get get, get you ready for a nap bat, I guess. But no, that, yeah. that's cool. Like Aristotle is good too. So don't rag him until you listen to him. Hey, no, no judgment here. No judgment here. All right, Annie, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, I know you're you got a lot going on with big leaguers arriving today, the lockout finally ending. So I, I do appreciate you taking out some time of your day to talk about the minor leagues with us. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, this is Annie's second time on the show. So hopefully uh, maybe this offseason get you back on and, sure. and talk about the minor league season. So thank you again very much. Enjoy the rest of your time in Arizona. And then we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Big thanks to Andy Rogers for joining us on the podcast. Um, 
you know, it's it's been two years since I've been able to make it down to spring training. I used to go every year, or at least for three, four years there, I was going every year. And opening weekend's great because they got guys on the backfield. You can go watch these minor leaguers jump in. So, like, the opening lineup is Gordo and Salvi and Witt. And then by, you know, the ninth inning, it's Clay Dungan and Michael Garcia and, like, the low A guys all in the same game. It's fantastic. So I love opening mm-hmm. weekend spring training. Um, but it's good to get some insight from someone who is down there. So thanks to Annie for coming on. Josh Kaiser has joined us, uh, our other co-host who was sitting backstage uh, for the for the interview. Josh, I want to get your your thoughts on on some of what Annie said. Um, she brought up a handful of guys. She brought up kind of the vibe and and you know the leadership qualities of guys like Salvi and Emshoff and and Vinny. Um, I, I want to get your thoughts, and we can break down some of what she said. Uh, I, you kind of mentioned right off the top, the, the love for Kale Emshoff, I love to hear, um, the intangibles. I mean, that's, that's dating more porn right there is what that is. So <laughs> I was, I was excited to hear that Kale Emshoff was showing out there in, uh, in the spring training said, said her saying that he has the best right-handed power in the system was noteworthy because there's a certain guy that you brought up that, uh, that I would like to now compare those two. Too. So give me some Matias and some KLM shop BP reps and uh, and let me see how they how they match up. I Matias has like eighty grade raw power. Hundred percent. I think Emshoff borders on seventy sometimes. Like, and the thing is, like, you know, raw power is only as useful as as you can get to it in games. But KLM Shoff's raw power, just like if you put the ball on the tee, how far and hard can you hit it? is second to only Suli in the system. I, mm-hmm. I legitimately believe that his that his batted ball profile at its peak, right, the max exit below is up there with Bobby Witt Jr., MJ Melendez, Nick Prado. Now you have to get to it, right? I mean, that's the kind of thing with Suli. is like you can have all this raw power, but you have to be able to access it in some capacity. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say Emshoff's like a 65, maybe a future 70. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's quite Suli. And then when she said that by the way, like like, like sometimes you just omit outliers from conversation, right? Like with Tyree mm-hmm. Hill, if we're yeah. talking about the fastest guy in the league, let's talk about the fastest guy in the NFL away from Tyree Hill, right? It's like there, there, there are always outliers. Like PFF does it all the time with their like, which quarterback would you rather have for the next 10 years? And Mahomes ain't in there. It's because like you take Mahomes and then there's the conversation, right? So right. to her point, like I think Emshoff is probably second to none minus the obvious outlier mm-hmm. so that that kind of stuck out to me that makes a lot of sense i did the caden monk as someone to to watch i, I also dug that and then her throwing veneziano murdoch and chamberlain in the same i guess group or tier whatever you want to call it as alec marsh was huge to me i i, I mean we've talked like you guys mentioned in the interview that alex marsh is, marsh is very uh, talked about on this podcast, very much loved, and we love to see him get back and see what he's got after that injury. So the the fact that you're throwing those three dudes in there um, spoke pretty loud to me as well. Dude, um, Veneciano at his peak has some like probably top five stuff in the system. I mean, it's like lefty, it, yeah. funky from the left, like kind of a funky angle from the left side, and it's triple digits. He hit triple digits in game, not just in a bullpen or not just in a pull down. Mm-hmm. And then his slider when you is just wipe out when you pair the two. So I. I 100% think that he can be that type of guy. And if he goes to double A and if he can prove that he can start and not walk too many guys, he's going to rise very quickly. Yep. The other and one. Part, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead, Josh. I, uh, the, the, uh, I got two more things here. The uh, back when we were 
kind of going through the rankings, Brendan McNair was a guy that kind of stuck out to me as a bat first shortstop out of the, out of the preps. And that kind of stood out to me as like a, not your typical Dayton Moore middle infielder type of thing. He's usually, it's a switch hitter, small guy with a great glove, great instincts, and not much to teach them on the, on the glove side. Will they hit? Ah, probably not. Will they hit for power? Absolutely not. But Brendan McNair being a bat first guy kind of built six one one seventy five as a, as an 18 or 19 year old, um, kind of stood out to me when they picked him out. And when you guys threw him in the rankings, I had to dig a little further. And I think, uh, Jared, may have said something about him on the website a couple like the last couple of weeks. So I, I encourage everybody to go check that out too. But I, I, I very much enjoyed to hear that Brent, Brent McNair was showing out a little bit on the field as well as put on the, in the, in the batter's box. And he's a guy with all the intangibles, right? Uh, class valedictorian yeah. um, spoke very highly of by his high school coach after the draft process. I think it was Alec Lewis of the athletic who wrote about, um, man, I have to go back and look at it, and I'll, I'll try to plug it when this when the podcast comes out. Um, but they interviewed the scout that signed uh, McNair and, and, and all these things that go with being Mississippi. Uh, this is getting into the weeds of the draft, but Mississippi doesn't typically put out a lot of really star prep baseball players, right? And so um, drafting – prep baseball players out of Mississippi historically has not paid off. And Brennan McNair seems to be like a, like we're talking about outliers, like a massive outlier in terms of this guy's going to be good. He's going to hit. And it's just a matter of how far can his career go through the minors. Uh, but yeah, like you said, really cool to hear about him, you know, exhibiting those leadership qualities, matching that with the play on the field, because the off the field stuff is probably why he got drafted so high. Right. I mean, the play spoke for itself. But you put together, you know, a great young man who's also his class valedictorian. And like you have like the combinations, the inner workings of a potential star in the making. Now we'll see how his play backs that. But uh, yeah, I agree with you. It was really cool to hear her talk about him because that's a that's that's kind of a big deal, um, especially like I said, getting into the draft weeds. But uh, prep players out of Mississippi not having a great track record. So that's cool to see. Yeah, definitely. The uh, and then the last little thing that she just kept bringing up uh Massey and Will Klein and that is huge to this system I'm really really excited to see what they I mean they kind of like she said popped on the radar last year um kind of started doing things that nobody really I guess anticipated uh so I was already ready to see them like see how they were going to respond to a good year last year but um not great for my picks last week because I had them both in some category, way, shape, or form. So if they're getting called up and you're on fast track and you see them in Kansas City soon, I might be dead in the water in a lot of those, especially if Prado uh, gets called up and doesn't spend much time on the major or the minors either. So uh, I'm, I love to hear that they're doing well and they're kind of fast tracked and, and looking good. My, my uh, stock in them last week does not enjoy hearing that. Well, in, in the development of Massey and Lofton, and this is a conversation for another time, but just, you know, food for thought. It, it really brings up the future of Whit Merrifield for this team. Mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. Whit Merrifield, we've seen, can play the outfield, but it's definitely not as good as him playing second base. The bat is starting to decline. The Royals have clearly missed their window to trade him at his peak. So if they decide to trade him this year, he's got a, cl- a very reasonable club option for 2023. But technically, he could be a free agent at the end of the year. I don't know what value there is to bringing him back on a free agent deal unless you're going to play him in the outfield, but you have Kyle Isbell. And like we talked about, like 
I don't think Whit Merrifield's future is in the outfield. You got to fit Bobby Witt Jr., Nicky Lopez. If Michael Massey can be a big league second baseman and Nick Lofton is going to be like we think he's a top five prospect in the system, I don't know what Witt's future with the club is. Is he a utility player? Is he a backup role? Is he the starting left fielder? I don't think so. But it it all starts to come into question because unless, I I say, you trade Michael Massey for for a front-of-the-line starting pitcher. So there are some caveats to this. But it does make the system much better with a guy like Massey because he comes from a position of strength in the system. And if you wanted to trade for like a big-time arm, you package together like Michael Massey, Michael Garcia, and you take your pick of an arm, like you could get a pretty good pitcher, I think, for two guys like that. So it's it's yet to be seen. Both those guys have something to prove at double A before their value goes way up. But it's it's a development to watch this year because both guys uh, give the give the Royals some really some some much needed depth of high quality players in the system mm-hmm. and will Klein's ability to strike out the world. Like he has, like he did last year. If he didn't do anything close to that, I would not be shocked if he was in Kansas city very fast. The Royals need like, they have good bullpen pieces, but are they guys that you truly trust outside of like Scott Barlow to go and get outs in the ninth inning right now in Kansas city? I don't think they have those guys. I think it's a lot of kind of spray and pray, cross your fingers and hope that they can get three outs and, Move and move on down the line. And we if talked Wilco- about it some last week about him potentially being a, a, a opener. And yeah, that, and I that think that was he, awesome too. I think it, it's a it's triple digits with a hammer of a curveball, and that if the changeup development that Annie mentioned is legit, then you have a guy that is an absolute weapon that can move very quickly. And then you pair him with Dylan Coleman at the back of the bullpen with mm. already an already established Scott Barlow, who was a top 10 reliever in baseball last season. That's a very formidable, formidable back end of a bullpen that you desperately need in this era of baseball to win games and be a winning ball club. The Royals started that in 13, 14, 15. When they once HDH began, games were shortened by to seven innings, six innings. Royals were winning after the six. It was over. You have to get back to that point if you really want to compete for a championship. We'll do – we got about three weeks until minor league opening day, um, three, four weeks left. And when we get closer to opening day, we're going to do a predictions episode. We'll give you all of our predictions for the 2022 minor league season. I just want to get this out of the way because I'm claiming it now. Dylan Coleman will be the closer by June 1st. I think that's very – I think that's very true. Um I don't even think I need to give you odds on that because that's a very good possibility because I think the, and I think what allows the Royals to do that is Scott Barlow. As I talked about in my interview with him on one, one Royal way, he's like, just tell me when to go in and I'm going to go do it. If you need two outs in the sixth and you need me for the seventh or you need me for seventh and eighth to get to the ninth, I'll do it. Or you need me to go out there on the ninth because, you know, say Dylan Coleman's thrown three games in a row. I'll go do that too. So his ability to not just be a, I'm a one-inning guy that throws in the eighth or the ninth, gives the Royals the flexibility to give that an opportunity. Yeah, Cleveland kind of made that role famous with Andrew Miller. Not that they invented that role, but they made it – Andrew Miller made that role famous, right? The, I think. the relief ace. The yes, fireman. and I think Scott yeah. Barlow's – Scott Barlow's been a great off-brand Andrew Miller in his Royals career of, like you said, going in, when do you need me? I'll go, I'll get the job done, and I'll be out. So, um, speaking of Cleveland – I want to go through really quick, and we talked about this in the group chat, but Minnesota finished last in the division last year, 
and they've now acquired Isaiah Kinder Falefa and uh, uh, Sonny Gray, Gray. Yeah. Uh, from the Cincinnati Reds. I don't know where Minnesota is in their rebuild, and I really don't know where they think they are in their rebuild. I think they're further. I think that they think they're further along than they are. If I'm the Royals, I would much rather be me, right, than the Twins. I would much rather have the Royals group of prospects, big league roster, whatever, than whatever it is that the Twins are rolling out there right now. And I was looking at the rest of the AL Central. I wrote a series of blog uh, articles on Royal uh, on our website, uh, RoyalsFarmReport.com, evaluating the AL Central. Right. So, really quickly, I want to go through it. If you guys had to pick, you could be the Kansas City Royals or the Minnesota Twins in their in their rebuild at the moment. Who would you rather be and why? Joel, go ahead and go first. The Royals, they have the best prospect in baseball. I think that is a really good starting point, but then you think about the pitching and the arms that they've been able to bring along that are, A, that you have some that are big league ready and you got guys that are maybe a year or two away and then two to three years away. I think that makes it different. Pitching is, I mean, it's the biggest, the greatest currency in the sport. So you have, A, you have guys that can help you right now. You have guys that can help you in the future, or you have guys that can help you in a trade. So I think the Royals are in really good position there. Josh? Same. Yeah, it's, it's basically the same thing. And then what? let's say that you do, you have figured out the mystery of the rebuild, and somehow you have the success to be contention. You make the playoffs. We, we know you're not winning the playoffs because you haven't won in 17 damn games. You have 17 straight playoff losses, and the odds of that happening, I found today, are 1 in 138,072. That is such. That is not like a small sample size uh, uh, fluky thing. You are doomed and destined to lose in the playoffs similar to the Chiefs were prior to the Alex Smith and Houston Texans game. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your team's doing because you're not doing anything in the playoffs. So give me the Royals. Give me where they're currently standing for all the reasons that you mentioned before. I, okay, I want to go through the Twins rotation real quick. We won't spend all the time on the Twins. Let's go through the Twins really quick. Sonny Gray last year. We know who Sonny Gray is. He's probably not the 4.19 ERA guy he was last year, but – that's a, that's a good piece to have as your number two. It would be a great number three. He's not an ace, mm-hmm. right? So, but that is going to be the Twins' ace as it stands right now. Dylan Bundy, whose ERA last year was over six. Bailey Ober, who in ninety-two big leagues, big league innings, had a four-one-nine ERA. He's almost twenty-seven years old. I don't think he's like. I'm not expecting gigantic improvement from Bailey Ober this year. Joe Ryan. 26 innings last year, 405 ERA, and Randy Dobnak, who had an ERA over seven and a half. Okay, here's my thing with the Twins. I don't know what they think they're getting, even if those guys progress. You still got to deal with the White Sox. You still got to deal with Cleveland, who is perennially average or better. Hmm. And then you have Bobby Witt Jr., the Royals, uh, Spencer Torkelson, and the Tigers. Like, I don't know where they think they're going this year. Isaiah Kinder Falefa is a fine defensive player. He has some tools on offense. He's not a game changer. Sonny Gray is a free agent after next year. They're not competing this year. I just don't understand what the Twins are doing. And here's my reasoning for for talking about the Twins specifically right now is everybody wants the Royals to go do something. What have the Twins done that makes you think the Royals can do something similar and then go compete this year? There's not – it's not out there. Like the moves that we want the Royals to make in 2022 aren't there. The moves I think they need to make are for 2023 and beyond. It's still March of 2022. Be patient. It's 
going to happen. They're going to make moves. We saw it when they traded for James Shields. When the Royals think they're ready to strike, they will go get the players. Ben Zobrist, Johnny Cueto. They messed up in 2017 with the Padres trade, but they still tried, right? I mean, Melky mm -hmm. Cabrera as well. When they think they can strike, they will try. They obviously have told us so far, 2022 ain't it. Be patient. This is the final year of mediocrity before I think they take off. Just, just relax a little bit. We don't. You do not want to be the Twins. If, if the Royals had traded some comparable player of Chase Petty for Sonny Gray right now, I would be freaking out. I'd be so mad. So mm. that might work for the Twins. I am much more a fan of what the the Reds got in return. So let's let's be patient there. Let's go the, to the Tigers. Well, I have one more thing on that. You yeah. talked about the the transactions. You kind of want them to do something. The Royals, the Twins did something this year they extended byron buxton and people do did a lot of uh, connecting the dots drawing parallels to potentially extending mondesi on a similar type of deal we kind of get to sit back and watch you know how how that could potentially look whether it you know it works out and they get a, a steal from buxton i mean do do the royals then immediately turn around and, and try to extend mondesi or do you see the same buxton we've seen you know electric when he's on the field hurt and uh, do, you can't count on him for 100 games this season. So you kind of get to sit back and see what they, you know, how that kind of works out. But that could be potentially the move um, that the Royals could still do and pull off before opening day, I think. I, I will go on record saying there is a 0.0% chance Royals extend Alberto Mondesi to anything close to what Byron Buxton got. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I, especially right now, Buxton has played at MVP levels when he's healthy, Montes, has been very good. So I yeah. agree with what you're saying, Josh, like that, that is a move they could make to try to clear up some future cap space right. and, and like get future cap space certainty or not cap space, payroll certainty. Payroll, so yeah. um, but I don't know about the, the, the money, just the here. money is not, yeah, I'm with yeah. you. The money let's, is not the same. Let's jump to the tigers really quick. The tigers. I, I am much more inclined. Like if you told me I could have the Royals current roster, the tigers current roster, and draft picks, future draft picks. The Tigers have to pay Miguel Cabrera a lot of money, but they're also <laughs> more willing to spend a lot of money. Yep. So if you include the cap space, I'm not 100% certain I wouldn't lean to the Tigers, but if you're just comparing the two rosters right now, I will still take the Royals. I think Casey Mize, and, and I've said this before, and I don't mean this to like be super hot takey. He is the most overrated pitching prospect that we've had in the last three, four years. He's good. He's probably going to be a big league starter. I don't think he's nearly as good as anyone ever gave him credit for. He certainly was not the top right-handed pitching prospect in baseball ever. Um, but after Casey Mize, you're looking at rotation that in some way, shape, or form consists of Eduardo Rodriguez, who is good, but I don't think Eduardo Rodriguez is a number one, and he's kind of penciled in as being their one or two. Mm -hmm. Um Tark Scooball, who I personally love Scooball, but his control is justifiably a question mark and is going to keep him from being an ace. If there's anything that keeps Scooball from being an ace, it's going to be his lack of command. Matt Manning, who did not have a ton of big league success last year, I think. Let me pull up his he, – he didn't get very many innings. 5'8 uh, ERA. Oh, no, 85 innings, 5'8 ERA. I like Matt Manning. I, I thought more highly of Manning than I did Mize in the minors. It did not translate well last year, so we'll see how that plays out. And then Tyler Alexander, who flashed in the pan last year, 28-year-old. I'm not, you know, that rotation's pretty good. It's better than what the Royals are working with at present. 
but I also think the Royals are more likely to surpass them than be below where they are right now. So Eduardo Rodriguez, the front of that is the, is the biggest caveat to that Eduardo Rodriguez is the best pitcher on both staffs. Cassie Casey Mize last year had the best year of anybody on both pitching staffs. So we'll see how that plays out. I think it's much closer. Josh, I'll start with you this time. Just looking, comparing Bobby Witt Jr. to Riley Green, Melendez to Spencer Torkelson, Nick Prado to, um, I, I guess you could name, you know, one of one of three or four guys that the the Tigers have coming up, including Akil Badu at the big league level already. Where would you lean, and and kind of how do you project this going forward for the Royals? Yeah, I, I was looking at Kylie McDaniel's system rankings uh, today, and they had the Tigers at 13th, right behind the Royals at 12th. I think that's pretty, you know, justifiable for for what you've kind of mentioned so far. Uh, I I mean, they're going to be hamstrung for that Miggy contract. They have been for the past five seasons. He is a under average player since 2017. They paid him 129 million dollars for that. They still have $64 million to pay him over the next two seasons. So, yeah, they do spend a little bit more, especially compared to all of these AL Central teams. So that's not nothing, especially, I mean, you go get, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez. Javi Baez is going to give some swag into that uh, into that group, but he's still going to be super overrated, probably overpaid, and that contract's probably not going to age very well. So, I mean, that's all fine and dandy that you're trying to add add guys and, and put stuff on your payroll, but they have to be the right guys. And I'm not 100% sure the Javi Baez is that guy. So I think it is a closer, is way closer than the Twins argument. But I think the kicker is that um, I would still rather be a Royal because if, if, if I was part of the Tigers organization, that means I live somewhere near Detroit. I'm just not interested in that. So uh, give me a Royals organization for that reason. Add Javier Baez to my forgot he plays there now bingo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Noah Syndergaard out in L.A. Yep. With the Angels. Javi Baez in Detroit. It's going to take me a little bit with the lockout ending to mm-hmm. remember where all these guys are at. So add him to the card. Seeing Scherzer in a him. Mets jersey was weird. Yeah. Very weird. weird. Yeah. That you have. Did you a, see the Mets report? It was like, does anybody, why does it look like he has two different colored eyes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, the the thought of uh, going in a rotation from Degrom to Scherzer is just that should be illegal. Yeah, yeah, stupid. Um, regards to the Tigers, I lean the Tigers like fifty one to forty nine. Like it's, I don't think it's that significant. I the deciding factor for me, at least at with the big league clubs at this point, is the manager. Say what you want about AJ Hinch's time in Houston, but he's a really good manager, and that Detroit team last year was not good. And they still finished higher than the Royals and got the most out of that roster. That's where I lean right now. I think AJ Hinch is a much better manager than Mike Matheny. So that I think sways it a little bit in the Tigers' favor right now. I think Torkelson is awesome. Riley Green is really good. They're going to get the most out of what they have in my Scooble and Manning. And I think the Royals are, you know, they're in a similar shape, at least prospect-wise. I don't think there's – I think Bobby Wood Jr. is the best of the group, but Torkelson's still really good. Riley Green's still really good. MJ Melendez, Nick Prado are really good. It comes down to the dude calling the shots. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. And the, the Royals are kind of in a spot right now where you're in a division with two of the best managers in baseball, yeah. personally. is it, Tito didn't retire, did he? I don't Francona. I don't think so. I think he's still there. Okay, so you still have – Francona in Cleveland, AJ Hinch in Detroit. I mean, that's 
that's th- those are two of the best managers in baseball, in my opinion. And like you said, Joel, I know the whole deal with Hinch and Houston, but still, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of reasons to think he's one of the five, six best managers in baseball, in my opinion. We'll jump over to Cleveland. Cleveland has one of the best PD systems in baseball. Uh, underrated every year, in my opinion. The way they keep turning out pitchers is 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 really impressive. Um, I mean, turning guys like Zach Plesac into very usable big league pitchers, in my opinion, is is an example of that, right? So, uh, Shane Bieber, Trevor Bauer, formerly, um, you know, they just keep turning them out. So, looking at Cleveland, I think if you're talking about 2022, I definitely expect the Guardians to have a better record than the Royals, but I don't know how long I expect that to be the case. Uh, Shane Bieber. 27. I don't know how much. Yeah, he's still got three years left um, mm-hmm. under under team control. Cal Quantrill, okay. Zach Plesek is fine. Aaron Savali's pretty good. Tristan McKenzie is like the Mondesi of pitchers. Um, <laughs> you know, I I think I like Cleveland going going forward into 2022. But looking into 2024, that you know that first real window, I think in 2024, Royals fans are going to expect playoffs right from their team. Mm-hmm. I, I think I would lean the Royals then, but I'm 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 kind of leaning Cleveland 2022. Joel, I'll start with you, and and we'll we'll bring this all back, right? This isn't just supposed to be an AL Central roundup. I'm I'm bringing this back, but Joel, really quick, Royals or Cleveland, and then we'll wrap this up. Yeah, short term Cleveland, long term Kansas City. Okay. I think right now, I mean, Jose Ramirez is still there. I don't know how much longer he'll be there, but he's really good. Biebs is when he's on, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Tito is still a really good manager. I, I think they're still there, but there's still so much volatility with Cleveland. I just, I don't know what I'm going to get out of them, but I know at least at this point, they're probably going to be right around 500. I expect the Royals to be right around 500, but I still think, I think Cleveland is the better club right now. I would gen, yeah, generally agree that they probably are a better roster right now, even though there are still a lot of question marks on that roster. You got Rosario Jimenez, Naylor, McKenzie, Bradley, all those dudes have plenty of question marks, just like the Royals do. They've got they've got big names. The Royals don't have Bieber, but they do have other, you know, Salvi, all the Wit, all these bigger names that uh, that could make a bigger difference for their guys comparatively to what Bieber can do for the Cleveland Guardians. So it, it is certainly a toss up. I, I'm, I'm I'm agreeing with you guys that uh, short term probably Guardians, but long term the Royals, and uh, it, it's just it's wild. I looked it up. The last season without a top 10 in, okay, caveat, Royals, or I'm sorry, pitching war from baseball reference, B-War. The last time the Cleveland Guardians did not have a top 10 B-War pitcher in the AL was 2013. Bieber, Bauer, Clevenger, Kluber, Carrasco, all those dudes. And then even last 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 year they had Cantrell uh, in that top 10 as well. So they, they have at least one, usually two guys in that top 10 for for B war on pitchers in the AL. And I think, I mean, that's just a ridiculous streak that they've got going. So let's, let's consider that the, that Cleveland, especially this year. So let's think about the twins in 2022. We definitely think Cleveland's better. White Sox are obviously better. The Royals probably better suited. The addition of Sonny Gray is, is a difference maker, but it's a wash, right? You're talking about third place at best. And then Detroit, honestly, I would probably pick Detroit. Like, if I was going to pick the standings at the end of the year today, for me, it's the White Sox, clear number one, Cleveland, clear number two, 
the Royals and Tigers battling it out for third, and then the Twins in last place again. I don't know what the Twins are doing. I could be dead wrong. I probably am dead wrong. The Twins will probably win the division now that I'm saying all this. But let's just, I, I, I picked the Twins the to win that to division do. last year, by the way. You did? <laughs> How could mm-hmm. you not? I mean, they were the returning champions, right? Well, it's because I, I, I got right. Well, I 100% believed that the uh, Tony La Russa hire was going to just blow up in the White Sox face and it wasn't going to work. And I mean, it still did blow up in their face multiple times and they still won the division because they're that good. Yeah. Yeah. They were I, just injury ridden too. It was ridiculous. Yeah. The Twins are the one team I got right. They're the one team I was like, yeah, they're not going to be good. And then they finished last. But yeah. I was I was also a little bit wrong on the White Sox. Um, but this year, I, I just don't – I don't want the Royals to do what the White Sox are doing. I'm sorry, what the Twins are doing. Yep. I don't want the Royals to go out and get a Sonny Gray. Like, I'm glad after seeing the price tag on Chris Bassett, who's on a one-year deal this year, mm-hmm. I'm glad yeah. they didn't go get Chris Bassett. I'm glad they haven't sold their soul for the rental for competing in 2022 – you, you could make the argument that, okay, well, the Twins can still trade Sonny Gray. Do we think they're getting something better than Chase Petty for it? An 18-, 19-year-old throws 102? I don't. I don't think you're getting anything better than that. So I also just thought about this. The Reds added Chase Petty to a system that has Hunter Green in it already. Mm-hmm. Fun. Um, yep. But anyway, I just – I don't want that. I want to watch our kids play. I want to watch the prospects play. I want to watch what they have in-house play. And then at the end of 2022, you take a long look at it. Mm-hmm. And you start selling your soul for the playoffs. Yep. I'm okay with that. But I think the Twins jumped the gun a year early. I think Royals fans who are asking the Royals to do the same thing are misguided. Yep. And I would beg you, give them one more year, watch the kids play in 2022, and expect them to start competing with roster moves in 2023 because that's when it will matter the most, in my opinion. It seemed like the 2022 Twins are like the 17, 18 Royals. They're like, we're not rebuilding. This isn't a rebuild. This is like a retooling. It's like, shut up, dude. We know exactly. We get all the the whole writing is all over these walls, dude. Shut up. Don't try to sell us this shit. Just just give it to us straight. Let's go. Yeah, I I'm okay if the like if the Royals win the same amount they did last year, but like what they won seventy five games, four seventy seventy four, yeah, like but. That. Prado is getting significant time and Melendez is getting significant time. Bobby Wood Jr. has played 130 some odd games. Vinny's up. Isbell's playing in right field every day. You're giving the young guy, the young pitchers every opportunity every fifth day. And they win 74 games. Like, okay, that's fine. But if they run out there with a lot of the older veterans that they did for most of last season and they win 74 games, I'm going to be really mad. Mm Mm-hmm. This is the year where you have to find out what you have with these young guys because you have to start winning in 23 if you want to be relevant, especially over, with the core that you have. Over, under, 250 plate appearances for Ryan O'Hearn, now that you've said all that. I, I might cry if it's over. Gotta I think be it'll be under. I think it'll be under. I, I'm sure Ryan – I've said this, I don't know how many dozen times. I'm sure Ryan O'Hearn's a great person. I don't even know if he makes the opening day roster. Mm. I, don't, I I would be shocked if he did. To be completely honest with you, I mean, like we like I talked about last last week. I mean, I should say completely shocked because at this point, nothing involving him really does. Every time I write him off, he hits a game winning grand slam. That's just how we do it. 
but there is somewhat of a logjam trying to figure out what to do with Dozier, trying to do trying to figure out what to do with Santana. You got Vinny and Prado chomping at the bit on behind him. Uh, they got dudes that you know are are above and below him, so that you think the middle gets squeezed out, but um, he's not quite the wet bar of soap that he that we think he might be. Josh, don't I owe you like a game behind home plate shirtless or something because he and Eldred are technically still on the nope. I think the it, opening day roster. It's about Michael A. Taylor is the only guy I'm 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 uh, familiar with our bets. Yeah, so it was Michael A. Taylor. Yeah, yep. right before that contract extension got signed, and they signed yep. him two year deal. <laughs> There's still plenty of life for for you in that bet. I'm not gonna let's I'm, let's double down. Let's double down on the O'Hearn thing. <laughs> no pants. <laughs> oh, pantsless. Let's go. Let's go. Mm, no, no. <laughs> I um, I I wouldn't do well in prison. No, I uh, that would be a big uh, big time career uh, killer for you. <laughs> Yeah, finding yeah, no. Okay. All of a sudden I'm full time our Royals Farm Report guy. Who wants to We are off the rails, Alex, get us back. Yeah. No, that's all I had for the night. So we can go off the rails or we can just end the show. It's up to you guys. Do we want to cover the, the White Sox? Before... No. Okay. They're they're better now. They'll they're looking better for the next year or two. It's just a matter of I guess, uh, them, I, guess now. I, I guess we now need to decide well, whose career Tony LaRusso will ruin this time. <laughs> yeah. So your mean Mercedes is gone. Who's he going to get this year? Yeah. Um, good question. That's actually, we could, we could bring that up next time is yep. we'll have white Sox uh, bingo. You gotta, there we go. Yeah. I'll, As we figure out now. Uh, okay. Well, let's end with this. Who is going to, and this is going to be across major league baseball or wherever, who is going to be the biggest, the next big free agent to sign and where do they go? Freddie Freeman to the Braves, which means Nelson Cruz will go to the Dodgers. And then Carlos Correa signs with the hmm, – Carlos Correa is going to sign with the New York Yankees. That would make sense. I, I've always thought that Correa goes back to Houston, so I'll stick with that. Chris Bryant to Seattle. Yep. Yeah, that one that one makes a lot of sense too. Mm-hmm. I also I've seen some weird like Carlos Correa to Baltimore talk. I don't know how true that is, but that would be fascinating. Mm-hmm. I could see I could see him fitting in somewhere in Toronto too. Oof. You put him in that lineup with Bo and oh well, they let they let Simeon walk. They let yeah. Simeon walk. Which... Slide the shit to second base, put Correa at shortstop. Yeah. Oof. That surprised me. I, that was one of those bingo cards you talked about earlier, is Simeon being in Texas now with the uh, old Corey Seager. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a middle infield. That's not too shabby. Like, that is a half a billion dollar middle infield. Nice job, Chris Young. It's a poop sandwich all around them, but <laughs> it it's is. really good in the middle infield. <laughs> my, my buddy that's a Rangers fan was talking to me. It was like, you know, talking all the smack. I'm like, man, you were talking a lot of smack for a half a billion dollar infield that's going to finish in fourth place. <laughs> I like Chris man, Young's GM. He's got him on the right track. Yeah. Chris Young man, can you, found some money. Okay, I just want to think about the beer league softball team that would be put together in Toronto if you had Correa into that lineup with Vlad, Bo, Springer, Teoscar they'd Hernandez. Be like, they'd be like the Bash Brothers of 2015. Mm. Yeah. I mean, about, I, don't, I don't think people re- remember correctly how good that Toronto team was. And oh, by yeah. the way, how good yeah. Detroit was in 2014. Like, yep. the Royals, to get to where they are. Now, I know they didn't play the Tigers – but had to overcome a couple of loaded rosters. David mm. Price, Troy Tulowitzki, Jose Bautista, Edwin Encarnacion. Like, these guys were mashing baseballs. And the Royals just went through all of them. Mm-hmm. The, what, the Angels win, like, 98 games in 2014. And the Royals swept them. Yep. <laughs> okay. 
Well, that's all I got for tonight. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Oh, ooh, we didn't do the minor league minute. So really quick, thanks to Drum Farm uh, for sponsoring our minor league minute. Uh, this summer when we have minor league baseball again and we recap the minor league week, uh, Drum Farm will be sponsoring our minor league minute. So thank you to Drum Farm Foster Care Center out in Lee Summit, Missouri. Uh, Drum Farm not only takes care of foster kids on, on their campus, but also has a compass program that's really cool. The compass program takes care of kids who have aged out of the foster care system. I don't I, I need to get the stats in front of me because I did this last week too, but um, you know, the the American system for foster care doesn't take care of kids when they turn 18. Right. And so the statistics for those kids who end up in low places is, is, is staggeringly high. And the compass program is a way to take care of these kids who have aged out of the foster care system before they're on their feet. So a very cool deal. They're running out there. Glad to be partnering with drum farm uh, this summer uh, for our minor league minute. Uh, thanks to KCSE for picking up the show. Thanks for KCSN for having us. And until next week, gentlemen, I will see you guys real soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.